We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in, guys, on this fine Thursday where we are going to switch our tune up a little bit here on the OBR Film Breakdown. Myself and Andrew Spade spending some time looking at the positive. We've done a lot of negative talk, and sometimes you can meander into that talk again quickly, but we're looking at the positives on the offensive side of the football, which are a little harder to find, but we go through some of those. We also hit on the defense, which has quite a bit more, and then we're going to take a break, come back from that break, and then do some of the overreaction angles, right? Are we overreacting to this four weeks into the season? A lot of good stuff here, good talking points. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let's get going right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Thursday podcast. Myself, Andrew, we're here to do our usual uh, show that is supposed to be kind of around the NFL, but the third part of our uh, tripod here, Jordan Zerm, is, is unfortunately away on vacation, getting some Jordan time in, and we understand that, but they're still in the midst of bye week. I think it's okay to look around uh, a little closely more at the home base, so we're going to continue doing that. We'll get to the NFL more on a, on a, on a more broad spectrum on Saturday show, kind of what uh, we've been doing, previewing, doing the lines. We'll talk about some of the teams around that if you look forward to that as sort of a part of your weekly podcast digest. We will get to that, I promise. But Andrew and I wanted to get together, get some time to, again, reflect on the on the the whole picture here, uh, as we're going to do over the course of several of these shows coming up. And today's show, I thought, would be a good idea to to be, it's not spinning positive, but looking at the positive. In the midst of a lot of negative coming off that Baltimore game, the drama surrounding the quarterback, decision not to play, communication, players angry in the locker room. There's um, a a necessary angle here where we look at, yes, the offense among the worst in the NFL right now, but what is going right? What's going well? We're going to get to that. That's going to be a big part of today's show, looking at things from glass half full. But before we do, there's a couple of big things that Andrew and I need to talk about that happened around the Browns today. They weren't in. They didn't have. Um, any team wide, uh, you know, practice or media availability, the coach, we did get Andrew Barry in uh, for a press conference today. And we did also hear a little piece of information that I think we need to discuss, which uh, we'll go to that before we go to Andrew Barry, uh, Andrew Spade. We'll talk first about what was said on 92.3 today. The big piece of information was that the players were, and again, this is from inside the locker room. So I think Jason Lloyd of the athletic is saying that there's, 
uh, an annoyance inside the locker room that the, uh, the, the, the Deshaun Watson didn't play. There's some players that were annoyed by that outcome. And I, I'll let you respond to it first. I, I guess I'm not surprised by that, but uh, I'll, I'll let you riff on what, what you took away from that because it's a, you know, it can, it can kind of be seen as a bit of a bombshell there. Yeah. I think, you know, Jason was basically saying that he's in the locker room after the games and uh, you know, he was talking to some people at their lockers, you know, off the record type stuff. And they were saying that they were, I think the word he used was frustrated that Watson didn't go after saying basically all, all week and then through the weekend that he was going to be able to play. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's, I, I, to me, it's pretty consistent with what everything else we've heard. I, I think everybody in the building, he had done a really good job of convincing everybody that he was a, for, a sure thing to play. And I understand that from the player perspective, because you're not a doctor, you're not a coach. You're, you're just kind of picking your head up uh, from your own job to see like, what's the overall status of the team. Oh, the quarterbacks are dinged up. Oh, he's going to play. Okay, and then I'm not going to worry about it anymore. But uh, so I, I understand like the frustration that feels like you get now. It's two hours before kickoff. Kickoff. You're starting to get mentally prepared to play the game, and you find out that you know the starting quarterback's not going to be out there. I understand the frustration. Um, I, I I don't think any of that conversation changes the piece where the coaching staff had the ability, and I would argue the responsibility to prepare the team better for the possibility that the quarterback wasn't going to be out there. But I understand also that it's can be tricky sometimes for the head coach to, you know, have a different message than the one that the starting quarterback is sending to the media and the team. Yeah. The big thing is, I think everyone's annoyed, like you said, because he said he was going to play and he didn't play. Now, again, Deshaun could have had good intentions there, really thought he could get shot up with something and go play. And that didn't do the trick that he was expecting it to do. But to your point, there needs to be from the coaching staff, a contingency plan in place. And I think they learned a valuable lesson here. I don't know if there's any, you know, people are wanting to bake in some distrust things. And maybe that's true. I, I, maybe that's true. I, but I, I really don't think Watson was specifically trying to deceive them about not playing in the game. So it's on the coaching staff to prepare for outcomes. And this is a reminder and, and unfortunately probably a really uh, ugly reminder. Well, it is. We're talking about it still on a Thursday, right? It's an ugly reminder that you have to take care of that. You have to have plans in place. And no, you can't change a game plan two hours before. I heard people talking about that. You have a core group of plays. You're always going to be able to operate within your offensive structure. But I'm talking game plan specific things, your general philosophy about a game, how you're going to go about it, the amount of two tight end max protect plays you have in. Like you're not going to be able to adjust that stuff to the degree of, oh, it's it's 1030 on a Sunday and we have to go out here in, in two and a half hours. Let's go sit down and re rewrite everything. And no, that you can't, you're going to, you're going to put some specific prep in 20, 25 plays that are very specific for the team you're facing and the way you want to attack them. You cannot alter that. And that's why we saw the result of what we saw. And, and uh, again, we can, we can sort of bury that here, the drama surrounding that situation, in my opinion, because it's over, it's done and we've hashed it out. But I think hearing that players were annoyed, you can take that the wrong way, that there's some vendetta now against Watson. When that, I don't think that's the case. I just think that they thought they had their best foot forward, their best quarterback ready to play, and they didn't. And that's an annoying thing to go into a game and not have that guy, especially like you said, Andrew, because the message was sent in a way that he was going to be out there and everybody expected him to be out there. And that was delivered by the person who told us he wasn't going to be out there. So, And then there was some video of on the field, like, the the message being decided amongst the group and like Stefanski pats him on the way out. And people like 
trying to read the body language like he was annoyed with that. I got nothing from that. It just looks like he's getting ready to go tell his team yeah. a really tough message, right? Like, I don't think there's anything more to that than he's just he's telling them, all right, pat him <laughs> on the back. We're going to go tell somebody else. And someone's like, well, look at the frustration in his body. And that to me is just searching for something that like well, that's. And what's so weird is you don't have to search. It's it, there's plenty to be outraged about with this without looking for body language stuff. Like yeah. <laughs> you yeah, don't need weird. to go digging. The, yeah. the head coach didn't prepare the rookie backup quarterback to play in a football game when his quarterback couldn't lift his arm all week. That's the controversy. It's right out yeah. in the open. And you can see the, I mean, if there's anything I see in that, it's a panic from Kevin walking away. Like, wow, we got to figure this out on the yeah, fly. Cause like, he realized he fucked up. Yeah. So my there language. it is. No, no, there it is. I mean, it, it, that's probably the more um, yeah. important thought and I, here, right? I, I was heartened that today it was Andrew Barry, weirdly. Instead yeah, of get, get to Andrew. Go ahead well, and yeah, talk so, about so, what Andrew said today. I mean, one of my frustrations has been, frankly, that the, the media's had two shots at Kevin since the game, and nobody has asked him why the quarterback, the rookie quarterback, was you know ill-prepared and why the game plan didn't reflect the possibility that the you know the starting quarterback couldn't play. And, and so... I was heartened that the Cleveland media decided to start asking those questions today. They asked them the GM, which is not precisely the person that can answer those questions. He even said as much himself, but there's kind of two pieces of big news. One is as specific to this issue that we're talking about. And then one is bigger picture. So the, the news specific to this, Andrew Barry said in a, in a late question, late in the, in the press conference, you know, Mary Kay Cabot said she talked to him at his locker on Friday. He was convinced he was playing on Sunday. Right. And so mm -hmm. the Andrew Barry said, I think Deshaun was doing everything in his power to play. We were all optimistic because he made a ton of progress throughout the week, going from really not being able to raise his arm to where he was on Sunday. So he, he goes on to say more things about his toughness and all of that. But I just think organizationally, I won't, I won't be able to get over the fact that the guy couldn't raise his arm on Wednesday and you were like, yeah, he's probably fine five days later. That doesn't that just doesn't pass the smell test to me. That doesn't, that's so illogical, such bad thinking from an organizational standpoint. The process, we, we talked yesterday about process versus results. The process there is so bad to, to hear that the starting quarterback, all everything he does is based on what he can do with his right arm and he can't raise it. Yeah, the the time the time frame of that is like, hey, if he can't raise it after the game, totally get it. Took a bad right. hit. Needs to heal up. If it's Wednesday and he can't raise it, I mean, it's to the point that it's quite hilariously laughable. Some of that stuff. I mean, I don't really have any other way to phrase it. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll kind of try to, like I said, we'll move on as best we can. I feel like things around yeah. that are going to keep coming up, but um, yeah, because we'll it was a huge mistake that they made. They made a they made a mess out of that, and it's going to keep haunting them because it was a game. Now, you know, like everybody has said all week. Watson goes out there, doesn't play that great, and they lose to the Ravens anyway. It's, you know, could be a moot point, but they weren't competitive in the football game. And and I think, you know, that has two components. One, that you misjudge whether or not the starting quarterback could play, and two, you didn't properly prepare a game plan to keep the the rookie from making your team uncompetitive. And I think that's on again, that's on the organization. So it'll keep coming up because it's there's 17 of these. It's not like they play. 162 and you can misjudge somebody's availability like a baseball game you can be like well he's, he's he'll be back tomorrow you know there's no, 17 totally chances good. so and i, I mean right. again i think one of the bigger storylines looming here is whether he's playing this weekend and, and next weekend sorry and I that's think worth mentioning jake that is have, yes have it's a, smart to mention that yeah because yeah go ahead go ahead 
No, I'm just saying there's a giant presumption that he's going to play next weekend. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I mean, we're still talking about a guy who couldn't even put it together for for one day on Sunday. I mean, listen, maybe the NFL, they think they got some super drugs, and I'm sure they got some real uh, any given Sunday movie drugs, right? You know, there's some stuff here, but uh, yeah, nonetheless, it is uh, a gigantic lesson learned and and really a lesson learned in the hardest way possible, which is which is a really big bummer. So anyway, get to the bigger Andrew Barry stuff there that uh, you had a big point to. Yeah. So, so the big point is he, he, for the first time in his tenure as Brown's general manager, he did like an opening statement mm-hmm. and it, it was like three or four minutes. You know, it was, it was pretty, it was like a state of this team basically uh, where he kind of went unit by unit and touched on how things had gone over the first uh, four games and then talked about the fans and, and, you know, he, he had kind of a, I think one of the quotes that a lot of people are are using is, you know, I really want our fans to enjoy and lean into this process of watching this team become fully formed throughout the year, which I I think is a nod on his part to, you know, the the Browns have been, they played three home games. They've been booed in every home game at a certain point, you know, when things Mm -hmm. weren't going their way. I think there is a feeling throughout the, the, the media landscape and also through the fans that like, you know, because we, we have been told to expect this team to deliver, and and kind of been told that over the past few seasons, frankly, you know, the, there's no patience. It's a it's it's a real show me situation right now for Browns fans, and I think he's asking for a little bit of understanding on that, which I understand, but I also think, you know, it's hard it's hard to spend the entire offseason being like we're unleashed, we have arrived, you know, we have built the perfect NFL roster. I know I know that Andrew Barry is not saying this stuff, but but they have there are people that work for the Browns that do media that are saying things along those lines. You know, this is the most complete team since the 1980s, these sorts of things. It's hard to do that with one hand for six months over the the summer, feed the hype. And then you're two and two after four games and be like, all right, everybody pump the brakes, pump the brakes, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, so to the point though, about the, you know, the process of them becoming fully formed throughout the year, the most interesting quote that he delivered was, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and read this to you. Uh, He's talking about the offense. We're really looking forward to using this bye week to really return to the level of consistency and the standard that Kevin has really set there on that side of the ball since he's been here in 2020. And no doubt with having Deshaun for a full season, losing Nick and Jack Conklin, it will look different than we've been accustomed to seeing over the first three years. But we have no doubt that not only that we'll be able to meet but kind of exceed the standard that we've seen the first three years that Kevin has been here as the head coach. Heavy. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. just, just, just heavy. I, I guess, you know, what you want to know, I mean, it's a little bit of calling out the head coach to get it right. You know, I think right? so. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, the standard is, is one thing. I think like they've been efficient at times. We, we kind of go back to last year when they were one of the more efficient offenses, the first two thirds of the season. Uh, and then, and then obviously some things fell apart. There's, there's a learning curve with Deshaun, but I think the echoing statement here is like, Hey, Deshaun has been here long enough now that let's get going and whatever yeah. that takes to get to your standard, let's have that happen. Right. I mean, I, I that's how I'm reading it. And there's putting some pressure on the offense. Get I me mean, obviously hits on the turnovers because the turnovers are they're certainly um yeah. a really big component yeah, of talk about this the turnovers yeah. because they're so far down in the negative on that side. But yeah, I, I mean 
there is some underlying we have to get and he's not wrong i mean hell he's he's extremely right they've got to get right on offense if they don't get right on offense it goes from being you know we're we're an average offense you and i talked yesterday about this that we could see them you know get into the playoffs and then whether they're serious in the playoffs or not that's a different discussion but if they're bad and right now they're 32nd in the league in epa bad there is no fit like that's not a playoff team and and like the bare minimum i think you would agree with me andrew for these guys keeping something in place is they have to make the playoffs like the, the, if this goes south in a, in a really ugly way it, the, the, it's playoffs or nothing like in terms of yeah, keeping some sure. of these guys around so yeah I, I think you're you're right about the um the baseline of that comment really looking at like hey kevin this is your standard get back to your standard somehow some way right yeah and saying specifically that it's going to look different you know, which I think is some some of that is speaking to the fans who mm-hmm. want, you know, the Browns to run the ball at all costs at all times. Uh, but it's also somewhat speaking, I think, again, to the head coach of like expecting it to look different than it has the last three years. Like this is not going to be a play action under center run heavy, you know, uh, play from in front team. This is going to have to be a team that throws the ball and, you know, sometimes gets gets down in games, but is the has the ability to threaten teams and score points in bunches and and we just haven't seen that under Kevin Stefanski's tenure so to a certain extent I feel like the general manager coming out and publicly saying that you know when his head coach has not really said anything like that is setting a marker you know and whether or not Kevin Stefanski's on board with that I don't I don't know I'm not sitting here and saying he's calling him out 100% but I do think that they're whether whether Stefanski's on board with it or not the marker has been set and I think that saying that sets the standard and jake i mean we don't do a ton of victory laps on this podcast but i will also say that what he said is pretty much what we've been saying like Mm -hmm. he didn't get so much into the schematic schematic stuff of you know uh, how they get there but saying that it needs to be better and saying that it needs to be different are kind of the two pillars of what we've been saying through the first four weeks of the season so i feel pretty good about you know, us being on the same page as the general manager, at least, Um, you know, and I think it does open a really interesting conversation of if they come out against San Francisco and, you know, into that next game, uh, I think it's, what is it, uh, Indianapolis after that, and then they go to Seattle and things don't look that different, you know, then I think you start to really ask those questions a lot more pointedly than we have been so far. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, I I think, to your point, we've been pointed without being pointed. It will get really pointed. It'll get if they come out of the bye same way. It is going to be um, uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, we, that's exactly it's funny. What I mean. It's yep. just so funny because we said that <laughs> we said that about the season. <laughs> we did. Now we're in it. We sure and, did. Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, no, that's so, and that's a great point, Jake. That's a that's a great thing to bring up because it's, it's a like good when you reminder. tell your kid. You tell your yes. kid, hey, yes. if you don't if you don't do this, I'm taking this yeah. away from you, even right. though you have no intention of doing it quite yet. Right. Um, but if you do say it twelve times, eventually the twelfth time it becomes serious. Right. So, I don't so know, yeah, like t- tune in for whenever we get to the twelfth version of Kevin needs to fix this offense. Yeah, might be week twelve. Uh, all right, so <laughs> let's do some positive. Right, we've, yeah. we've hit on enough. Let's, let's get some positive. Let's let's, let's let's totally shift. What I want to do is go back and forth, maybe two and two, mm-hmm. uh, offense defense, talking about two things that have sort of caught us. Um, I mean, just I don't even think it's against expectations, just things we want to talk about that have been like uplifting in some way about the uh, offense. And then we'll hit on the defense. The defense obviously has a lot more options for this yeah. one than the uh, yeah. than the yeah. offense does. But yeah. I'll, I'll lead off. So I'll I'll say Amari Cooper. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think at times Amari has been um, 
you know, in a, at least in a sense, he's slow. He's slowed down from what he used to be, but he's still doing a lot of the things that make Amari really good. And um, he's been a bright spot. He's consistently caught the football. He's drawn flags. Now he didn't have much of a um, an opportunity um, in his uh, last game because none of them really had much of an opportunity. So it's it's like kind of throw that one out the window because I feel like it, the only thing that was really being targeted was inside the hash marks for DTR. But again, that's another discussion. But he's been consistently winning, I think, and has continued to play up to the standard of the money that he is. Uh, you know, first of all, he was owed a lot of money, right? So that's a thing, but he's, he's been meeting that standard is my general point and been a bright spot for the wide receiver room. And otherwise, um, you know, I think we could agree. It's been, it's been bleak at times um, with, with that group. So I think he deserves, uh, he deserves some credit for that. So I'll give him as one of the brighter spots on offense. Yeah. He's not, I mean, he makes plays. He, I don't, he, he is never, he's not often a highlight reel, you know, player i think his only highlight real catch uh this year is the one that they <laughs> took away from him <laughs> that's true because they they said he stepped out of bounds when he was two feet in bounds so um i you know but i think the reason he's been the the most you know the focal point of the offense especially since nick chubb got hurt is just because he's so reliable and I, that is an undervalued trait in the nfl because you know everybody wants to have their you know, wide receiver core look like Justin Jefferson or look like what the uh, Dolphins are doing. But uh, Amari Cooper is ultimately very reliable. And I think they're going to have a hard time. If he keeps this up, they're going to have a hard time moving on from him next year, because how do you, how do you take that sort of security blanket away from your quarterback? Very hard, very hard. He's like you said, uh, he's not flashy. He's probably the most, he's almost like, I'm trying to think of the right basketball comparison for him. Like, He's not going to be above the rim, but he's certainly going to make all the plays, make all the shot. Like Tristan know, Thompson, Clay, well, a little bit, but a little more dirty. Work. I mean, like I don't know, Clay Thompson. He's just like sure. he can, yeah, he can yeah. from a skill position. He mm-hmm. doesn't why, but he's just uh, he does the the little things. Right. I don't know. People, Cavs fans, are probably going to hate that, but um, I don't know some something like that. Uh, he's just he's so consistent and and fun, and um, he deserves credit that this offense has been bad, but he's certainly not a reason that that they have been bad at all so uh okay next one let's hit on your first one i think there's a couple uh looming ones that i think are pretty obvious go ahead uh yeah i think um i would just say dewan jones coming in and playing like a league average tackle as a fourth round rookie uh is is a is a huge win for him as a person it's a huge win for the the team you know um andrew berry shouted him out very specifically in his press conference today talking about, you know, the anonymous sources that were, you know, kind of criticizing his his uh, work ethic and, you know, those sorts of things and how, you know, he, Dewan Jones has really taken advantage of the opportunity, not just the opportunity to start, but the opportunity to be in an NFL organization and have all the resources at his disposal, really focus on being a professional. And I think he deserves a ton of credit for that because it's very hard to do what he's done you know, you don't see fourth round rookies walk into the league and start that often. And the team doesn't feel much different about, you know, how they protect uh, going from a, a veteran all pro player to to him. And and that's been the case. I, I, I know that he continues to struggle with things in the run game. But what you're really looking for out of a fourth round rookie tackle is don't get your quarterback killed. And he has passed that test with flying colors. Yeah, Dewan deserves credit. He is yeah, again your point. The bar's low, but the pass pro stuff has been good enough. And you can in the I think in the modern game can stomach 
pass pro stuff, right? Um, being being uh, if it's better than your run defense, yeah. or sorry, you, run blocking, you, you can stomach right. that. Yeah, you can't you can't do the other thing. You can't be like, well, this this kid, you know, gave up five sacks today, but man, his run blocking was really solid. You can't play that card anymore in the NFL. But the way that Dewan is doing it, that'll play. If I'm going to give some schematic credit. I am going to say an uptick in wide receiver usage this year for the Browns is certainly notable. So plays with three wide receivers this year, they're at 69.5%. I've wanted them to be a more 11 personnel driven team than heavy tight end personnel driven team. So they are at uh, 69.5%. That's ninth in the NFL plays with three plus wide receivers. They jump up to fifth because they lead the league, Andrew, in four wide receiver percentage. Now that's driven because at times Elijah Moore will be in the backfield. There's probably mm-hmm. some of those plays that are chipping into that because you'll have a tight end on the field. So um, they lead uh, the league in that. So again, I, I think there's some credit to be had there uh, as far as playing with two plus tight ends, which has been a staple for the Browns forever. They're 24th. So as far as the personnel rigidity, that has changed, which is nice. But again, uh, there are other pieces of the rigidity that we need change, but I will give him credit that some of those things have uh, trended, I think, in the right direction for where the modern NFL is. If you're looking for a comparison for where 2022 was on some of those metrics, the Browns played two plus tight ends, 12th most in the NFL, three plus wide receivers. They played 21st. So they're trending in the right direction. And that one, as far as true 11 personnel, they were 21st as well. And that at 57.9%. So that's moving in the right direction. And, this sounds stupid when I say it out loud, but I swear it's I swear it's meaningful. Kevin has done a boatload of trick plays to the point that some of us have been like, like, really? <laughs> you know, I think you would agree with me, Andrew. Like, you, I mean, I love a trick play here and there, but when you're running so many of them so quick, it starts to be like, okay, like, this is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I will say that the willingness to do those, although, albeit not as successful as we would have liked, even though. I will say, I I didn't mind the Harrison Bryant flip pass. If they could have blocked that, the center could block his man. Amari's open for a touchdown if you can throw it. There's other ones I've hated because, again, if you put Elijah Moore in the backfield, you're wasting everyone's time. The defense is not going to worry about running between the tackles. They're triggering to the outsides quickly. I think that the oversight on Elijah Moore is so frustrating, but the general use of of breaking away from some of the things that you traditionally do you could probably spin this into that's a detriment. It gets them out of the flow. I totally get it, but I'm trying to frame this show positively. And if there's <laughs> one positive thing you can say about it, that perhaps it does show a willingness to break away from some of the things that they have been doing. And maybe that means they start to do more of the other stuff that we have been hoping for. You know, some of these, these core, I mean, switching your core versus some peripheral plays is completely different. Right. But if the, if, Put it this way, Andrew, and I said it on yesterday's show. If the Week 12 Houston game didn't happen last year, I would have no hope this could happen. But based on that game last year, I do have some hope that they can. I don't know why it would take getting to this point to do this, but there is some some small sliver of hope for me that that we do get to we do get to see something changing the core changing. I tweeted about yeah. the. RPO stuff today, man, where they're sixth in, yep. in yards per attempt using it, third in rush yards per attempt using it. They're 18. I mean, I think they're like, what did I, I think 24th in the NFL in usage. They've only used it 18 times, but it's been a really effective thing for them. So, 
you hope the self-scouting stuff trickles into the building and they start to see these things. But yeah, that's like, as far as the schematic spin cycle thing I can do for you guys, I'm hoping that scratches the itch. Cause that's about all I have. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, just, I, I know that we've, we have absolutely gone down the road with the scheme stuff a number of times. I, I just listening to you kind of say, you don't know why it would take them, take them this long. The only thing I can really think Jake that I think maybe makes some sense is perhaps it's a situation where Kevin Stefanski did not feel comfortable with what he saw from Deshaun Watson in training camp. Yeah. And and felt, and felt like let's get him to a point of comfort within the, the safe stuff that we do that helps quarterbacks. And then through the bye week and into the easier part of the schedule, he's he Stefanski is thinking we've got three divisional games in our first four weeks. Mm-hmm. So let's manage him through that period. And then, you know, to kind of to what Andrew Barry is saying, they can start to transform things. And, you know, Barry said a few times today, you want to be bl- playing your best football in November and December. So for sure, per- perhaps this was an organizational decision. I guess this is a way of being positive, right? Perhaps mm-hmm. this was an organizational decision to try and slow roll changing the offense because they think, Kevin Stefanski's old offense helps quarterbacks more. That's, you know, that's just one, I mean, that's one kind of out there theory for, you know, why it would take them to the bye week and then a little bit beyond, you know, and maybe they do come out and look somewhat predictable against the 49ers and then we start to see things change, you know, as the weeks tick on from there. I, I don't know. It's just a, just something that occurred to me. It's very possible. It would just be so mystifying to see a guy who was like the Texans were ninth in RPO success. They had eight touchdowns, no interceptions, 800 passing yards, just passing yards and using RPOs in 2020 for him to just show up to Cleveland and not be able to use them all of a sudden would be such like a, an indictment on the group to not be able to figure that out. I I just, I don't know, man. I'm I'm again. Yeah, uh, I hate it because I'm going back to this is a positive segment. Talk about Watson, though. I know you want to mention that, and I think it's fair. Well, he had his best game as a Brown the last time we saw him on the field, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the Ravens game has left a really bad taste in everybody's mouth, but Sean Watson didn't play. And so the last time he was on the field for the Browns against Tennessee, which is a good defense, you know, they might have some, you know, some issues in the secondary, but they're a good, well-coached defense overall. That was his best game as a pro. So I think he deserves credit for you know, uh, weird weather game week one, really tough environment week two, losing their starting running back on the road against what we know Pittsburgh can be and kind of really had a bounce back game that he needed to have. I think if that Tennessee game went differently, we would be having some very different conversations. It would be hard to even justify putting together a positive uh, show (laughs) going into the bye week, right? Because that was, that felt like the tipping point. And so he deserves credit for, for uh, having his best game. And I think, I tend to believe he would have had a pretty good game against Baltimore. I don't know if that would have led to a win, but I think the way that that's, that game plan was drawn up, it was clear that Kevin Stefanski was counting on Deshaun Watson to carry the offense, which tells you where Stefanski was at with his quarterback. So I think, I think you know, I think the arrow was pointing up. Now this injury complicates things, as we know, and I don't know what we'll see from him or the offense against San Francisco in a week and a half, but I do think he deserves credit for being as good as he was against Tennessee. I think that's very fair. You can, you can get lost and be an oversight in the midst of 
some things that happened in recent memory and right yeah the, the the game would not have been as uncomfortable right i think that's that's beyond fair so um okay we will uh, I, I, actually i should say one more before we switch over to defense i think the usage of david and joku on more routes we saw a little bit of an uptick in that production mm-hmm. for him uh, mm-hmm. this past week because largely because dtr was so willing to use the middle of the field it's funny dtr loves the middle Watson loves the sideline. Can we find a happy ground between those two? Uh, him you, using him on more routes is, is encouraging. And if you're like, you know, not to, to to take it back to like a fantasy perspective, if you're somebody who's into that stuff, that should be something you're drawn to because there are going to be opportunities for him here that I think will eventually be meaningful. And I, hopefully that was just a, a good first sign in that in that process uh, in there. And anyone, uh, sorry, any others you want to hit, Andrew, before we switch off of uh, offense, go to defense? Yeah, one one last little one, and this is another thing Andrew Barry mentioned today in his press conference. The Browns are minus uh, what seven? I think they've had ten turnovers already. They're minus seven in turnover margin, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, they've lost the turnover battle in all four of their games. The way that I spin this positively is, I trust them to get that figured out because Kevin Stefanski has generally figured that out, and that alone should help them regress to a better team because they have been giving the ball away way too much way too Mm -hmm. much and so i would kind of classify this as like getting away with it right like they've lost again they've lost a turnover battle in all four games and they're two and two so they've gotten away with it to a certain extent and i think we'll see that regress as the season goes on which should help the offense i agree i agree that's a great point all right we're going to transition to defense now so um let's there's a lot to pick so i will let you go first uh because like i said there's quite a few things that we could be positive about with for this group that still leads the nfl and epa uh yeah i think you got to start with miles garrett right i mean uh he is on a historic pace yet again for this season and um is is you know in a lot of ways unstoppable he's he's beat a, a triple team he beat a triple team against the ravens uh you know, he's gotten a, a, a delay a game or a penalty uh, or a, I'm sorry, a timeout called to avoid a penalty for delay a game against the Titans when he was, you know, doing that motion stuff. I mean, he's, he's done stuff this year that he continues to do stuff that we just haven't seen, you know, and um, having the, the other guys up front with him has really unlocked him and allowed him to be used as more of a weapon. Uh, than you know, just like uh, uh, a pass rusher trying to transcend everybody else on the defense, he's he's turned into a true game changing weapon for the for the defense. And I I don't, I mean, I I really just hope that he can kind of keep things on track and keep dominating because I really think he'll earn a defensive player of the year award by playing this way and with how good this defense is. Uh, but he's he's got to just keep doing it for you know another. 13 games and and lock it down you know end up probably around 20 sacks and just insane you know single season numbers which is he deserves a season where everybody kind of throws him a party and i think this could be that season he's on a great path you're right playing extremely well playing i think he's played the run even though last game wasn't his best example i think he's played the run game better so far this year than than in years past and like you said he's just the pass rush win rate stuff is pretty bananas at this point so you have to really like that Uh, i will say the other two additions have been extremely worthwhile at this point right uh between ogbo and zadarius outside those two have been as advertised obviously zadarius is um a a bit more a bit more effective (laughs) right but 
I I, th- I feel like Agua has been really good in speed rush situations and done a really nice job uh, as well. So the the capital they spent on those two guys seems to be very much worth it. I'm sure we could spread that to the entire um, you know entire defensive line uh, if we wanted to to be that way about Dalvin and like Maurice Hurst. I mean, sure that's one that we probably have to hit on, right? Is is what a revelation Maurice Hurst has been for a guy that they brought in with Tristan Hill with like a flyer signing, right? Yeah, the way that they've transformed not just the top line, but the depth of the defensive line is absolutely another thing to be very positive about. Um, and, and and I think, you know, changed a little bit the way that they acquire these guys, I think for the better. Um, betting on veterans who have not lived up to their talent or have struggled with injuries is a much better bet to me than kind of throwing fourth round picks at the problem and hoping one of those guys turns into a starter. Uh, so I, I like this this approach better. I think it fits what they're trying to do across the team because, you know, Maurice Hurst does, I, I don't know, does he do enough this year to get like a big contract? I don't, I don't know necessarily that that's true. And he might like being in this system enough. It's a little bit like what the 49ers have kind of done for the past five years, right? Where they bring in guys that have struggled elsewhere and kind of turn them into not superstars, but usable pieces that contribute to the overall unit and fit in. And that's really what I think you could say about Maurice Hurst is he's not, he's not at the DeForest Buckner, Aaron Donald level, but he's at the, at a very productive, you know, rotational piece level, which is perfect for what they signed him for, as you said. Yeah. I think that 49ers is, is kind of the the perfect way to, to mention it because they've just rehabilitated some guys who lost reputation. Right. And I think that's, that's a little bit of what we're saying here is, something similar that that they're taking guys who are maybe cast off high, highly talented types who have been cast off at other places and, and turning them into some sort of relevant piece. So if the Browns can do that, if they can take those pieces, like you're saying, and, and put them into application year over year, that's how you keep your, you know, your salary cap in check when big numbers arrive and stuff like that. So the ability to do that would be phenomenal. And the Hearst situation is a really strong start to that equation. So good stuff all around and the secondary you know again you don't have anything bad to say about anybody I think you know if you're going to pinpoint one it's probably Grant Delpit Uh, I thought I think Grant has looked more comfortable than he's ever really looked and I think it's led to him making some plays all over the football field so that's that's pretty dang encouraging I feel I feel really good about him and he probably deserves his own spotlight here but I think you could say the same I mean again you're you're sort of walking back this most recent game where the run defense struggled, but, but yeah. Jay, I mean, Anthony Walker and, mm-hmm. and Sione Takitaki coming back so quick from their knee and, and quad injuries and playing pretty good football, man, is, has been super encouraging. Yeah. The other one that I think deserves a specific shout out is Denzel Ward, because I think you and I had the conversation a few times this off season. He's getting paid as a top five, top 10 guy. Hasn't really been that the last year or two was not obviously was not happy in Joe Woods's scheme. That has been a total turnaround and he's playing the type of football that you expect from the guy that you draft where you draft him and then pay the way they're paying him. So uh, I think he deserves a shout out too. <laughs> it's funny to shout out a guy for living up to his draft status and, and contract, but it does matter, right? Because they made a commitment to him and he's, he's picking up his end of the bargain, which you know, when you talk about reasons this defense is as good as it is right now, I think really the, the play of the secondary has to be towards the top, that there are just so many times where the ball needs to come out and 
it can't. I mean, Lamar Jackson did what he did against this defense because he made some otherworldly throws mm-hmm. that are borderline uncoverable. You know, there was one where he was running around back there for what two and a half hours, and then found somebody. But like overall, you, you even against what the Ravens can do with the passing game, the secondary I think played pretty well. I, I would agree with that. I, I thought that they were at least in the right spots. Often I've, I've kind of gone over the one, yeah. the one singular play. Right. I thought that they blew um, mm-hmm. on that Mabel, but uh, yeah, they, they was fine. Just Lamar doing some pretty banana stuff. So yeah, yeah I, I, again, the one game can't sway you too far. Got to fix the jet motion stuff, but a lot of, and you have to feel, you know, you have to call out and feel pretty dang good about Jim Schwartz as well. Right. You know, his ability to get these guys, bought into his direction, his belief. And uh, it's extremely encouraging how quickly that relationship has gone in the right direction, you know? Yeah. And I think that also what that kind of tells you, or I don't know, I think maybe implies about some of the assistant coaches, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about things that we talked about this off season that were question marks that I feel like you have to say the answers have been positive. Right. And it's never going to be one guy when you're talking about, a, you know, I mean, I do think Schwartz is responsible for a lot of this ultimately, but a rising tide lifts all ships. It's that saying, I think. And so, you know, guys like uh, Brandon Lynch and Ben Bloom and Ephraim Banda, the position coaches, I think also come off looking pretty good because it's not like some of these guys know like where they're supposed to be play to play. All of them know where they're supposed to be play to play really well. I think they all deserve credit for that. I would agree with that. The defense deserves a significant amount of praise and we'll hope that they can continue to do that through, um, you know, some of these stretches where I think they might come out of the break and they're trying to still figure out some things on offense, which is, which is, (laughs) which is pretty challenging. All right. So let's take a break, come back. We want to do a little game of, uh, are we, are we overreacting? And, um, you know, we have a couple important parts to hit on there. So we'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, so looks like we have some things. I just kind of want yes or no and then a quick explanation because some of these things we've gone over, but... Um, I think it's worth at least uh, hitting on a few of these. So the first one is, you know, the run game stuff. I talk about scheme pretty heavily, right? Talk Mm -hmm. about it quite a bit. And the question is, are they just playing good run defenses? Have we been overreacting to the lack of running ability because they played really good sound run defenses so far this year? So um, yeah, go ahead with that and think, are we overreacting to that? I think probably for the reason that you just said, Um, I know that's not yes or no, but but probably Uh, I think certainly criticizing Jerome Ford specifically, like I've seen other, other folks in the Cleveland media, he's getting a lot of heat for not producing right away. Mm -hmm. That feels like an overreaction to me. Right. Um, You know, Andrew Barry, you know, I'm citing this press conference a lot through this conversation, which is a good thing, right? Because it's tying the two things together. He talked pretty emphatically about, you know, that they're kind of headed towards more of a committee approach in the wake of the Nick Chubb injury and that, and that Chubb being their one, you know, lead back is probably, or is more to do with him as a player and a person than it is about how they want to run things as a team. So, you know, thinking about a a post Nick Chubb Cleveland team, or just thinking about what things are going to look like over the next, you know, few weeks, I don't think they feel any great urgency to add another player there. Honestly, as much as people feel like that is, that's the area to add. I think they like the complementary skill sets that they have there. And I do think their schedule specifically of run defenses gets a lot easier and they're going to find success. I I do believe that because I think the offensive line has to improve and the running backs have to improve. And 
when those both happen and they play easier defenses, it's really going to come together for them. Good stuff. I, I definitely think that there is a level of concern here, and I, I, I talk about long-term scheme stuff, but there is no no denying that they have played some of the yeah. best run defense the league has to provide. So there we go. Are we overreacting to Elijah Moore usage? I don't think so. I'm this one. I'm really curious to hear what you think because I think I think the whole thing has been mystifying, and of you know one of the most clear examples of misusing a player to fit an idea for a scheme that isn't necessarily relevant anymore. You know, and I mean I can go into that more, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Hate it, Andrew. I hate it. Stop <laughs> doing it. I can appreciate wanting to get a guy the football. I can always appreciate that. That never misses me, but. Again, I talk a lot about defenses. The only way you get to the only way you beat defenses is if you you have them thinking, right? If they're thinking more than just playing reactionary football. And I think it's fair to say when you watch the way opposing defenses are playing the Browns right now, they are playing in a way that they trust the scouting report. They have a great feel for what's coming. And they're playing downhill and aggressive. And when you put Elijah Moore in the backfield in non-neutral situations, you are 100% giving them the idea that there's nothing coming downhill. There's nothing coming between the tackles. They're going to throw something gadgety outside or a screen or something, right? That is, that's not good. That's not good enough to do it that way and to, to eliminate and make things easier on them. He's not generational Percy Harvin or even like versions of Tavon Austin, right? Like, He's been like his best tape at Ole Miss, his best tape at uh, in the in New York with the Jets is all stuff where he's he's playing outside. Even like I I didn't even like when I first wrote up the information of what I wanted him to be here. It didn't even include the question of putting him in the backfield and doing gadget stuff. Like I I never even entertained that notion. It was whether I wanted him in the slot or not, which I did not want him in the slot. I can even handle him being in the slot. That's fine. <laughs> I think he's the best at doing outside receiving responsibilities where he's able to do the things I think he's good at. He can run a vertical route tree and also do some of the stuff that is unique in terms of like snapping off routes and attacking the blind spot of defenders and like, there's real legs to his ability to do that stuff. And we've seen so little of it. So I don't think that to your point and, and we're agreeing here big time, there is no overreaction to the usage issues that we're having here with this guy. Like this is, um, I, I mean, we, you can take it from even the usage issues of what he was doing alignment wise. And now you can tighten it into like the next level of argument here for me is they're using him incorrectly in, in the, in the alignment of wide receiver play. So that's again, that's another point of yeah. discussion. But if they just cut the fluff, which again, they, they gave him that ball and everybody remembers and has it standing out the, um, you know, the, 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 the most important thing, like the 20 yard loss. Right. So they actually didn't do as much in this game with him in the backfield, but uh, I just would like it to be eliminated entirely. Stop treating him like he's something other than, which I think is a, is a nice, really nice outside wide receiver. And when you do this, gadgety stuff with him it's a disservice to him in my opinion and, and it doesn't make your offense any better yeah yeah it, and to me this is like if you think all the way back to 2020 and i know you know this jake but uh you know jojo natson was a mm-hmm. another you know return guy who who was given a little bit of a role in the offense to seemingly scratch this same itch and it has been it was supposed to be jakeem grant last year but then he got hurt you know, I think it was Demetric Felton to a certain extent in 2021. 
it, it has it has been a bunch of guys that aren't really cut out for it, and I don't think Elijah Moore is either. And so it oh. it's I I don't know what this is. It's like a um, it's it's like a, a, a Kevin's got a thing. He's got like a little bit of a thing for using a wide receiver in non-wide receiver roles. Like it's a, you know, a preoccupation, I guess, as I'm trying to think of a a term to use to describe this. He's got a preoccupation with this that maybe does. He was in Minnesota when Percy Harvin was there. Maybe it goes back that far. But mm-hmm. it is in this day and age in the NFL, it is completely counterproductive for all of the reasons that you mentioned. It's making the offense more predictable when he thinks that it's, you know, giving other teams more to prepare for. But it's like, every, this stuff has been done for a decade. No, you're not fooling. I mean, they're playing the 49ers next week. You're not fooling Fred Warner with this stuff. He's not even going to look at it. And so, no. uh, yeah, it just to me feels like, you know, I think I, I don't, I, I don't want to like take this too far because we're talking about overreactions. But the thing that this makes me feel is, Every coach that ends up getting fired in Cleveland has a thing that kind of defines their tenure in a negative way that you can quickly refer to to make fun of them. Mm-hmm. I'm worried that this is going to be Kevin Stefanski's sort of calling card. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't. It's not helping anything. If he, right. if he, if he, and is, he's so stubborn about it. If he was a dynamic guy that could do both, like I would get it. But he's he's not. You know, it's like he's, you're not that guy. He's just not. And we're and it's like those other guys you mentioned, which have all been very fair to me to mention some of them. Those guys weren't anywhere near the receiver that I think Elijah is outside. So there's a lot of people who are, uh, again, just a lot of comments I've seen made about, oh, I thought Elijah Moore was supposed to be really good. Well, I think he is. I just think they're using him incorrectly, right? I think they're using him in a way that is – I, I hate it because this is what Jets fans, um, but the Jets got a, a better use. I mean, it's yeah. kind of scary. They yes. got they got better yeah. usage out of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just would like to see that turn around a little bit. I hope, man. I really hope. So um, I don't think that we're overreacting at all. Are we overreacting to this week's quarterback coach relationship? Whereas we're saying, like, I think a lot of people are trying to say that Kevin's statement about the medical clear thing and like he's trying to put it on the the player and uh, i don't know andrew i i guess it could just simply boil down to the guy has done something before gotten a shot or gotten something to deal with the pain we know he's been a warrior through his career with with injuries and things of that nature so it's not like deshaun hasn't been able to handle some things i again i don't think he would just sit out for the sake of sitting out i really don't that would be a complete reversal of what he's been as a player. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's some level of dissension between Kevin and, and the quarterback, the way I think some people are trying to make it out where the, the, the comments between Kevin and, and that video we were referencing earlier, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. just, just something. This is definitely an overreaction. I also think this is trying to make this current situation fit a previous situation by trying to draw direct comparisons to the Baker Mayfield situation. And the two could not be further from each other, in my opinion. And that, that's not that piece of that, this, I don't think it really exists. It's definitely not what I'm upset about with all of that. It's not what's bothering me about all of that. So yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's legs to that. And I think, again, I kind of shouted about this at the beginning of the show, uh, 
if you're if you're really getting dug in on that, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees. Last one is a bonus one because it's going to be referenced a lot. If the offense continues to struggle and we continue to see Drew Petzing, yep. you know, have success in, mm-hmm. in Arizona with uh, certainly significantly less talent than we're seeing mm-hmm. in Cleveland, there's going to be some questions asked about should this guy have had a bigger role, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that it is fair to ask, though, is – you know, the Arizona's one and four, but the metrics are good, or one and three, but the metrics are good here. So the question is, are we overreacting to the initial start here for Arizona, or is this a real thing that is uh, troubling? I tend to think that um, they're good, but I also think that if your head coach is good and he has somebody that works with them that's good and they go someplace else, the head coach should be able to also find other people that are good. So um, you know, I don't know who that is that kind of has taken because they didn't really replace the quarterback coach role, which is is vexing to me as well. But I, I guess the way I would try and think about this is that I think it could it could be both. Drew Petson can be a good coach who got away, so to speak, and is in Arizona, and you know he's probably going to be on some some head coaching lists here before too much longer. Uh, while at the same time. Kevin Stefanski is smart enough, qualified enough to find other people to replace him. I I feel like that's true. I also think it's possible that we find out that they didn't do that and are regretting it. So I I don't know. I guess it's, it's like, I don't think it's an overreaction just in terms of, I I do think Drew Petzing's a really good coach. I mean, they are sixth right now in the NFL in DVOA after four weeks as an offense, sixth, the Arizona Cardinals. And they have played by the way, you know, I know that opponent adjustments are part of DVOA. They have played the Cowboys. They have played good defensive teams. They, I mean, they got they got the Giants as well. But they, they've they've what they have done is legitimately impressive. It's not fluky. I would agree with that. I I certainly think Arizona. Um, you can't look yet. Like the, the the teams that they have played are not. You know, I, you can do the team show up. How interested are they? The, the Cardinals and all of that, but they're, they're showing up, they're doing things, they're getting their quarterback involved in the run game in a way that doesn't get him crushed, which I think is yep. notable, right? Um, you know, leaking out the the backside of run concepts where you're, you know, having the quarterback read a little bit more. So, uh, you know, I have to peel into that maybe a bit, a bit more with what Petting's doing that looks different than what the, the, the Browns are doing. But when you have a lack of uh, challenging voices and maybe you let one slip out of the organization that you shouldn't have done and you could have promoted within is a, uh, is a bit frustrating. I don't think we're overreacting to that at all, especially as the offense goes as it does. So, all right. So uh, Andrew, I think that's it. Unless you have one more, we can, we can jump over to one more. Do you have, one? I, I do have one sort of double bonus. We'll call this the double bonus at the end of the game. We're shooting free throws here, Jake. Um, okay. Uh, this is this is. I just want to mention. You know, there's been a lot of talk this week about the offensive line being disappointing, and I don't think that's wrong. It has been disappointing so far. I just want to point out, in terms of like an overreaction, the way in which that might be an overreaction is that the Browns have played the Bengals, who have a great front four, the Steelers, whose front four is you know we know what they can do, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Keanu Benton helped step in for. I mean, exactly. In that game, right. A reminder because you could say Cam Hayward was out, but Keanu Benton's mm-hmm. been really good as a rookie, which we thought he would at the OBR. We were in on him, yeah. and then um, you know Larry Ogunjobi played a fantastic game. And Alex Highsmith at this point is, I mean, he's he's in the top ten, I think, in pass rushers in the league now. When when you've got two guys, it's what the Browns are doing. You got two guys at that level, and then the Titans right now are sitting at twelfth in DVOA through four games. And the Ravens are sitting at fourth. So just defensively, they have played 
two teams that are, you know, the, the Steelers are 15th in DVA, the Bengals are 25th, but yep. they have good fronts. They have really good pass rushing fronts. And then two, you know, top uh, quarter of the league, top uh, whatever, third of the league defenses. I, I just think that's worth mentioning because, you know, again, we, we talked about this a little bit before. They play the Bears. They're 35th or 31st. And 35th <laughs> is not a thing. They're 31st. The Broncos are 32nd, and we've seen what happened to them. You know, um, you know the, the 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 even the Jets right now are sitting at 19th. You know, the uh, the Colts are 17th. The the Rams are 24th. The Cardinals are 30th. So there are opportunities on this schedule for defenses that are performing worse, and and specifically in the pass rush that you know will expose the Browns tackles a little bit a little bit less. So I just think. When you're looking at those some of those statistics about Jed Wills, he has not been good. But I think the combination of a bye week, a little bit of an increased focus, and again, some easier opponents, I think it's possible even if, if they regress back to like, if Wills regresses back to like average over the course of the season, that's probably good enough for the offensive line to get back into where they need to be in the top 10. All right. That's the perfect way to end a positive podcast, if you ask me. There you go. So the offense, and they should. I mean, this is, you look at some of the grades, like this is the worst Joel has played to start a yep. season. You know, the grades yep. are telling you it's his worry. I think you will regress to the mean here a little bit, right? I think that's exactly. that's going to happen. That's, and, that's and the hope. That's, yep. well, yeah, I don't want to say any, <laughs> after this last week where we said things are going to happen and they're not, even though we were the right ones to question it, you got to be careful mm. with it. But they should. They should. You're making a great point about the defenses they play, the start of the season and the nature of those groups that they played against, especially Pittsburgh. Again, I would love for someone to look at Pittsburgh's defense DVOA in Monday night home games versus their Sunday <laughs> one o'clock games because it's different. You would probably agree yeah, with me is. on that. Yeah. So, oh, for sure. All right. Good stuff. Good show, man. A lot of good uh, talking points here. We tried to put some positive in your life where some of the things around the bye week have been negative. And, um, you know, we're going to do less talking about uh, what we want to see and how we would like to see it practically applied in the future. So I'll have a pod for you tomorrow. Uh, Andrew and I will join up again for the Saturday show where we will yuck it up on a bit more of the broad picture, college ball, the NFL, and then uh, Sunday I'll have something for you as well. We'll figure it out on the fly, but I think there's a point here where we can look at uh, do these quarterly check-ins and have um, and, and, and at least a feel for what they've done, where they're going, and how they get there. We've done a lot of what they've done. Now we want to talk about the how they get to the next yep. to the next level. So we'll try to hit on all that. So Andrew, you're the man, buddy. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. All right, guys, we're out of here. Thanks for stopping by. Join the OBR one dollar your first month. Rate and review the pod. All the usual stuff. Thanks for stopping by. Have a fantastic Thursday, and go Browns. 